Thank you for downloading the Bristol Lectures podcast, brought to you by the University of the West of England. In this podcast, we are joined by Andrew Jennings, Global Retail Advisor, Board Member and Chairman. Good evening and, and welcome um, to Bristol Business School here at the UWE Bristol. Um, I recognise people who've been here before, but for those who, who haven't been here before, uh, welcome to what is the second in our autumn series of distinguished addresses. Uh, and we've got a, a treat this, this evening in, in the focus on the retail sector. I, I'm not going to say anything more about that for the moment because we're going to hear a, bit, a little bit about that in a moment. However, as well as welcoming everyone and welcoming our distinguished guest, Andrew, um, I'd quite like just to say a little bit of housekeeping. Um, we're not expecting any fire drill this evening, so if the alarms go off, and you will hear it because there'd be a very plaintive voice telling you that to, to get out of the building. Uh, if that happens, then please follow the directions to, to leave the building as quickly as possible. Um, myself and other colleagues around the room will, will, will help, uh, will happily guide you to safety. Um, as I say, we're not expecting that, so I'm hoping that, 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 that that's the end of that and that we can just enjoy the rest of the time we've got together. Um, the format for this evening is th that we will have, first of all, a showcase event for, for, from, from some of our, our budding entrepreneurs in the launch space we have here at the UE Enterprise Zone. Um, and I'll introduce them in a, in a moment. We'll follow that with, with an introduction to our guest speaker this evening, uh, and then we'll have the, the guest address, followed by some Q&A. Uh, we'll end the evening with, with, with some nice chat upstairs to, to, uh, to some nibbles and a drink or two. Um, the, event, and, uh, the event itself is being podcasted, so... Um, that should become available within a few days. Equally, there was an interview earlier with, with, with Andrew that, that also will be available for podcasts for, for, for those you, you want to, to, to hear it. And that can be made available following the address of the Distinguished Address series. Uh, I'd like to draw your attention to the fact that we, we, we it's part of the Q&A, but, 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 but in general, we also have a Twitter feed. So... For those who are interested, please take the opportunity to tweet and, and, and use the, the hashtag, which I thought was probably, oh yes, the hashtag Bristol Lectures, which is on the screen. Um, without any further ado, though, I'll introduce our showcase for this evening, and that's a couple of budding entrepreneurs whose business, OID, is a digital out-of-home advertising business. Will and Dan. Thank you. Hello. Uh, good evening. So, OID is a graduate startup, and it's uh, we specialise in digital out-of-home advertising. So, our aim is to provide digital out-of-home advertising for all businesses. The current market is dominated by large companies competing for primary locations and uh, they tend to buy these locations for long periods of time. There are 8,000 large companies in the UK, 
and there are five and a half million SMEs, with the majority not being able to access the value which digital out-of-home advertising can provide. So we're going to use the private hire vehicle market, and this includes Uber and Ola and similar services, to circulate a high quantity of low-power digital omnidirectional screens. So this will enable us to provide a huge amount of digital advertising space at a fraction of the current cost, but also it will enable businesses to reach locations which they previously wouldn't have been able to reach, mainly because this would have been unaffordable or simply the space was unavailable. So we'd identified our opportunity and next we needed to design our iconic product to harness this opportunity. So immediately we looked at attaching LED signs or high brightness LCD screens to the top of moving vehicles. But understandably, this threw up quite a few issues. Uh, predominantly the high power requirements that you need due to the high brightness you need because of your combating daylight lux levels and direct sunlight and also glare. And then on top of this, you need high resolution because obviously it is advertising and is an industry built on aesthetics. So we came up with a concept that should combat all, these, all of these issues, and we needed to demonstrate that technology. So we built a full working and full-scale prototype in our parents' conservatory. And I designed it, Dan built it, and Matt, our software engineer, he wrote the code to allow us to flash a high-fidelity image onto our screen. And this was a quite a big achievement for us, because one, we're working full-time jobs and we're in different locations. And two, in regards to the product, um, it actually uses 90% less power than a conventional LED screen of the same size while matching that resolution and also exceeding those high brightness values which you need so that your consumers can see it 24-7. And just building on that resolution point, um, Dan actually soldered the LEDs by hand so you can see if this was to put into manufacture, you'd create or get a lot more resolution out of it. Um, so our next steps, we have been contacting businesses, uh, telling them what we're about, uh, showing our services, and then hopefully we can have a positive effect on their business. And we can start to gather data and really understand the sort of impact that we'll have on the digital out-of-home advertising industry. Um, and just building on that, if anyone wanted to get involved or you see a use or you have any questions, then our emails should be on the board. So just drop us a message. And building on that, we'll be around afterwards. If you've got any questions, please come and chat to us. But um, thank you for listening, and have a good evening, everyone. Good evening, Bristol Business School. Glad we're all awake. Well, tonight you're in for a treat. It's a pleasure to be here at UWE. It's a great place. It's pissing down with rain outside, so I think we're winning already. Uh, but if you think you're ahead, wait till you've heard from tonight's speaker. We are fortunate indeed, and I think it's a compliment to this organization and its leadership that we have been able to attract uh, to the business school uh, somebody of the stature of Andrew Jennings. Um, as you can see, the room is packed. Um, I think in Hollywood they call this box office Andrew. Um, I think what we see here is one of the examples from one of Andrew's book that delivering footfall is very important in retail. And tonight you've done it, Andrew. Footfall here tonight in large numbers. So a warm welcome from the University 
uh, West of England and its business faculty. Now, I'm a shopkeeper by trade. Um, I first met Andrew and his wife on a trip to Cape Town many years ago. Um, at that time, I think I'm right here in saying he was chief executive of a South African retailer whose name was Woolworths. Now, this was problematic for me since I had just stepped down from the board of a UK retailer, which confusingly was also called Woolworths, which was great until I went in to see Andrew's Woolworths, which looked exactly like, well, not exactly like, but was very reminiscent of a UK retailer called Marks and Spencer. Anyway, it turns out that these two businesses were the Woolworths South Africa and Woolworths UK were in no way related, um, either financially or in terms of their proposition, or indeed, as it turned out, in life expectancy. Um, and it's fair to say that my time on the board of Woolworths, uh, a few years after I left, it passed away, God rest its soul, um, and uh, Andrew led Woolworths South Africa to increasing triumphs of success with their customers. So we are fortunate indeed to have tonight uh, a business leader who is truly global in outlook. He's as comfortable with the balance sheet and the board as he is with the frontline team or the fashionistas who supply um, the uh, department stores of the world. He has a 40-year perspective in retail and he's been agile enough to see just how the change in horizon of the digital world has meant for retail. It certainly is changing the rules of engagement and Andrew was right there at the dawn. Indeed, Andrew is often called an agent of change and I hope we'll see why this evening. Now, our speaker has in the UK led Harrods and House of Fraser. Brown Thomas in Ireland, which is kind of the photocopy of Selfridges in Dublin. Cardstadt in Germany, Holt Renfrew in Canada, and Saks Fifth Avenue in USA. That is, in retail terms, a stellar cast. He's now on the board of Ted Baker, Curzon Cinema, Alpha Wealth, and Peter Rosser Shoes. And lucky man, and I, this is breaking news, he has just joined the board of a South African uh, wine uh, and leisure business called, and I'll probably pronounce this poorly, Boschendal Wine Estate. That is the job to dream of. So if you're thinking about where will I ever get in my career, that is the job to aim for, I think. But still, Andrew has captured his thoughts into a book this is called Almost Is Not Good Enough. And this too, much like Andrew, is a bestseller globally. On top of this, and God knows how he does it, but in his spare time, Andrew no less than chairs the Prince's Trust Retail and Leisure Board. Ladies and gentlemen, please will join me in a warm welcome 
for the Bristol Distinguished Address Speaker, Mr. Andrew Jennings. Are we on? Yeah. Okay. Well, good evening, everyone. And um, it was more than a, um, a generous introduction, Stephen. And um, the blushes are still there. And it's an enormous pleasure to be back in this great city, a city for so long considered a powerhouse for trade and commerce. It's a particular pleasure for me um, to address an audience as distinguished as this. And I very much look forward to our questions and answers um, afterwards. And I think a lot will come out of that. I'm always very aware that one must be respectful to a distinguished audience, so I always wear a jacket. Now I've shown my respect I'm taking my jacket off so I can get a little more agile um, here. Thank you. Number one, I must really congratulate these young men, um, Dan and Bev. I love what they're doing. I think it's great. I've already given them some feedback, which is free uh, tonight. And... Um, I think that I love these young entrepreneurs. And what I love is that they're passionate about what they do. And um, we're going to talk a lot about passion. But I'm here tonight to really um, share my thoughts on how the industry is changing. And what I believe retailers need to do um, to um, make sure that their business is successful whether it's online, whether it's bricks and mortar, or whether it's omni-channel. But I've got a couple of questions to ask you, the audience, tonight, because don't think you're just here and you can doze off. Uh, the important thing is um, I want to have an engagement. And whilst you may be rating me at the end of this, I'll rate you as an audience and how good you are. Number one, how many of you have you ever worked in retail or do work in retail now? Okay, I'm impressed. Thank you. How many of you have? How many of you retailers are passionate about what you do? I'm a bit worried about this. <laughs> okay, I'm going to ask the question later. How many of you have shopped in the last 24 hours? Okay, so there's something for everybody here because we've got a lot of customers uh, here tonight. Now, retail, as you know, and the retailers around the room, retail is not the sexiest industry to work in at present time. And, but it's an integral um, part of the way that we live today. We rely on it for our very, very existence. Over 2.9 million uh, people are employed in retail in the UK, and 30% of consumer spending goes
goes on retail. 30% of 380 billion. That's a lot of money. It also happens to be, I think, a very dynamic, uh, very exciting, and obviously a very um, people-orientated industry. And I still love it um, as much as I did when I first set foot in retail. And whilst uh, Stephen was very generous to me of saying 40 years, I hate to tell him it's nearly 50 years. And um, it really sort of, it excites me every day. And people say, would you do that again? And I say, yes, but I'll tell you later what I change. This industry is going through unprecedented change. Change that I've never seen uh, before. Um, it is said that retail has never moved faster than it is today. I say it will never, ever move slowly again. High streets and city centres around the world are under the microscope. Traditional bricks and mortar businesses are crumbling under the pressure of high rents and rates. And they're being replaced in many towns and cities, certainly tertiary towns and cities, by a conveyor belt of fast food operations, nail bars, vaping stores, medical centres and entertainment centres. Many retailers have gone under. Hundreds more are struggling. Last year we had Toys R Us, House of Fraser, Maplins, HMV, to just name a few. It's going to get more depressing as I go on. So. This year we've seen brands like Debenhams, LK Bennett, Oddbins, Marks and Spencer, House of Fraser, all struggling. Only last week the Bon Marche um, declared that it was going to go into insolvency. This amounts to dozens of companies owning thousands of stores, employing tens of thousands of people. And these problems are not just limited to the UK. All around the world, whether it's Europe, whether it's Russia, South America, the Middle East, Southern Africa, and the United States, or North America. Interestingly, I read an article a few months ago that was published in the New York Times by Douglas Elliman in the, uh, Douglas Elliman, the real estate company in the US. Um, two years ago, two and a half years ago, 7% of retail space was vacant on Manhattan Island. What do you think it is today? That's a question. How much? 22%. 22% on Manhattan Island. So, what on earth is going on? Why is retailing struggling in the way it is? It's a complex picture, but let's try and unpick this. The reality is that bricks and mortar retailing is a high fixed cost business. Heavy investments in store construction, long leases, and significant stock investment. That means it only takes a few seasons of sales decline before the business starts tipping up and sinks like the Titanic. When things go wrong, they go wrong 
very, very quickly. In a world where online has been growing fast, the bell has been tolling for any retail business not on top of its game. According to the UK's Office of National Statistics, online sales were only 5.9% 10 years ago, and this summer it was at 186 to 19%. At the same time, there are fewer shoppers on the high street. This last year, 2% less than this time last year. Now, somebody said to me the other day, Andrew, how would you describe the pace of change in retail? And I said, you know, I spent a few years living and working in Germany, um, running a business called Karstadt. You have the autobahns, no speed limit. So you're traveling along, the autobahn at 130, 140 kilometers an hour. You look in your rearview mirror and you see this black speck. Vroom! Two minutes later, that black speck has overtaken you. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the competition in retail today. The death of some businesses doesn't mean the death of all. I believe that the formula for retail success um, is something I'm going to talk about in a moment, where companies can thrive and grow. The reason I believe in it, because I've seen it, I've experienced it, and I've been through it. A select group of established retailers are bringing the shopping experience back to life. They're innovating, they're inspiring, and they're thinking in different ways. I'm going to give you three examples. Number one, here in the UK, a business called Harrods. Have you all heard of Harrods? Yes. Uh, the store is constantly updating itself, bringing new innovations, new designers, new lines, new thought process. Um, over 20 years ago, Harrods was consistently um, updating itself. The, the greatest new cosmetic department in London is at Harrods. You've got it. The food hall has been completely renovated. Harrods now has over 20 eateries and restaurants. They also have great service. And very importantly, Harrods today is an omnichannel shopper. So shoppers can be there, uh, can buy from Harrods 24-7. My second is a business that's been around for over 240 years. So it's quite established. Called Fortman Mason in Piccadilly. And that certainly bucked the trend. A few years ago, it was languishing. It could have moved into the retail graveyard, but it had new leadership come into it, great service, a strong focus on standing for something. I have an expression, if you don't stand for something, you stand for nothing. If you want to buy tea, coffee, olive oil, confectionery, wines, the greatest selection at Fortnum Mason. Last year, Fortnum's was the number one hamper business in the UK over the Christmas period. In my time at Harrods, we were always the number one, but they 
understand great product and they have what I call a point of view. My third is an established business called Primark. Have you heard of Primark? How many of you shop at Primark? Don't be embarrassed. I shop there. That's great. You've got to buy high-low today. Primark is a bricks and mortar business. It also has been a huge success. It started off in Ireland some 45 years ago as pennies and came to the UK about 23 years ago. It's an opening price point fashion business, as you know, and they do a phenomenal job. And it's now in nine countries around the world. They've just opened a, a new flagship store in Birmingham, and it's really worth a visit. It's got technology. You can go in the fitting rooms, ladies. You can take your device with you. You can play your own music center in there. You can have your friends in there. You can have a party. You can do whatever you like. It's very sort of relevant. These three businesses, Harrods, Fortnum's, and Primark, understand that in 2019, we're operating in a world where the customer is no longer just the king. So what is the customer? The customer is the super being. The customer knows more than the retailer knows about what's going on in the industry. Customers today want and demand, firstly, convenience, secondly, transparency, thirdly, value for money, every step of the way. And if you're not providing it, then you're going to lose that customer. Whilst customers are looking for experiences today and are spending more money on holidays and restaurants and entertainment, people are still buying merchandise. Worldwide sales of retail are set at 27 trillion by 2020. And, um, you know, so somebody's doing it right. Alibaba. How many of you heard of Alibaba? We've got a very smart audience here tonight, Stephen. Very smart. Um, last year on Singles Day, um, in November last year, this is a Chinese company that's only been established for 20 years. 20 years ago, they had 17 staff. On Singles Day, November 2018, they took 32 billion US dollars. Let me give you a comparison here. In the United States, on Thanksgiving weekend, across all retail, in the United States of America, they took 13 billion. Makes you think, doesn't it? So customers compare their prices, they um, have their product reviews on their smartphones and on the internet. They know, as I said earlier, as much about the product as we retailers know. And they're, they're ruthless in the way that they use this information. And we as retailers have to understand this. It's not just about making your purchases online. Our tablets and our phones are integral to the decision-making process when we shop. More than 50% of in-store Shopping transactions are researched beforehand online. Any retailer 
who wants to stay in the game, let alone be ahead of it, has to think in an entirely different way. Get it wrong, move too slowly, and your customer will be lost forever. Now, if there's only one thing that you need to remember from tonight, and there's only one thing you think about, I want you to think about just two words. Be relevant. Relevance is a simple yet powerful word. And for me, as a retailer, it takes and it encompasses everything we need to do to be successful and thrive in retail today. In fact, I, um, in fact, I spent two years researching and writing a book about what retailers need to, uh, to do, and it's about relevance, and it's called Almost is Not Good Enough. I'll tell you later why I called it that. Um, one of the reasons was you can't be half-hearted about tackling this issue that we're facing today um, in retail and the many changes that are happening in our industry. In my book, I explore what relevance really means. And I have a lot of stories in there about great retailers around the world and why they've been successful. But as part of writing this, I enlisted the help of 35 retail CEOs and chairmen, and I asked them for help. And I said, please help me by giving me four bullet points on how you believe you're going to keep your retail business relevant for the future. What they told me confirmed to me that there are four key things any retailer needs to do um, to be relevant. And um, I'm going to share those with you tonight. Firstly, know your customer, understand their needs, wants, aspirations, and desires. Remember, the customer is the super being. Secondly, constantly innovate, and innovate uh, with excellence. I often say, show me a company that's innovating in a smart way, and I'll show you a successful firm. Thirdly, hire talented people who are passionate about what they do. And finally, keep change at the center of everything that you're doing. We're going to talk about each one of these points. And the first is know your customer. The top of the list. And it's ultimately the customer who decides whether us retailers will be successful or they won't be. There's no half measures on this. Astonishing for me, uh, and I spend a lot of time uh, in business, retail businesses around the world, I'm just amazed of how many of the key people in the organization don't know who the core customer is for their business. They think they do. And whenever I get involved with a business, I always spend some time with the buying division on my first or second visit. And I ask them, who is your customer? 
I've been in organizations where I've spoken to eight buyers and I've got eight different versions. It's a big problem. The retail graveyard is full of once great businesses who forgot who their customers were. And I've already mentioned a few of those um, earlier. The good news is that there are still plenty of businesses um, that venerable businesses who have moved away from that and have seen themselves resurge. Take Selfridges. Everybody know Selfridges? Um, I was very involved. I worked for the Western family um, when they purchased the Selfridges business. And um, three-store, four-store operation, but 90% of the business comes out of that, um, I was going to say Fifth Avenue, the Oxford Street uh, store. And 30 years ago, uh, my mum uh, would have shopped at Selfridges, and they, she shopped there because um, they knew what she wanted, and she knew that they knew what she wanted as a customer. Then they started losing their way, and walk into Selfridges today, the same location on Oxford Street, there's a whole new generation of customers shopping in there because they trust Selfridges to be a relevant business. And it's not just middle-aged mums who are shopping there today. I'm guessing at any one moment in time, there's up to 50 nationalities shopping in the store and ages between probably 10 and 90. There's no question that Selfridges benefits from that fantastic location, but don't underestimate, we can't underestimate the power of that glossy yellow bag. And it's true that the store has made a huge effort on some dynamic windows. They launched their Christmas windows before anybody else two weeks ago. Um, so from window displays to superb merchandise assortments, great new designers, weekly and monthly special events, happenings. They're, they've just announced that they're opening a three-screen movie house in the store. And very importantly, you can shop on it 24-7. So they're an omni-channel retailer. These days, knowing your customer means understanding more about caring uh, for the planet and increasingly means sustainability. Sustainability, I really learned a lot about sustainability in the business I was involved with in South Africa, as um, <coughs> was mentioned earlier, called Woolworths. And sustainability isn't just about minimizing a business impact on the environment, it's about a positive force of good contributing to the livelihoods of your staff to, and for those in the supply chain, the well-being of your customers. It means thinking holistically about everything, whether it's water use, waste management, everything. And when I was with Woolworths, we had a major focus on it and people came to us because they knew we cared about the environment, the planet, and people um, within the uh, environment. Um, Depackaging 
has really gone mainstream and there are uh, new markets um, for we call them I call them second-hand clothes but they're called previously loved clothes and there's a company in the States a billion turnover um, on previously loved garments and vintage garments there's also a an element of giving back um, to the community where you're based again another story on Woolworths in South Africa when I was running that business the the schools in a lot of the townships didn't have books they didn't have equipment it was a real issue so we decided um, that we would make a contribution so we would get our customers involved so we launched a loyalty card called your school and we asked our customers when they purchased from us instead of using their own loyalty card to use a loyalty card and they'd vote for a school that they would contribute towards so every transaction they got a contribution and the business today supports over 500 schools in townships and receives many millions of rand in financial support <coughs> so that's a bit about the customer and understanding them my second point is about innovation and innovate with excellence because there's no point in innovating and not doing something really well innovation in retail is not about doing things differently for the sake of it um, it's doing things with a purpose innovation can come in the form of technology can come whether it's supporting merchandise events store loyalty as I one I just explained to you or an outreach to a local community or charity I think that um, innovation one of the names that we can look at is Amazon for innovation is turn the traditional business model on its head how many of you at home get a parcel more than once a week from Amazon at your home okay probably 35 40 percent um, of the audience and Amazon are ahead of the voice activated uh, digital assistants um, and they're leading the way uh, Alexa how many of you use Alexa a lot of people here 50 percent of the audience by the end of this year ladies and gentlemen 30 percent of online customer interactions in the UK will be through voice assistants like Alexa in fact it's estimated by 2021 that there will be more digital assistance than people on the planet earth quite a thought interestingly Amazon doesn't think bricks and mortar is dead Amazon has made a move towards the high street they purchased as you're all aware of the Whole Foods business worldwide I'm also led to believe that they have a number of real estate agents looking for sites for their go convenience stores across the UK and across Europe potentially a major growth area for them another very interesting Amazon stat I wanted to share with you um, they have resellers um, 
and I didn't quite understand that term. And um, in other words, I'm a reseller for my book on Amazon. So if, you've, if you're knitting clothes, then you have clothes resellers. 128,000 resellers in the United Kingdom. On average, they have three people, three point something people, um, in each of those reseller establishments, employing 400,000 people in the UK. And that's 4.3% um, of their business. And the Amazon UK is now 25% of all online. So Amazon, an American company, but in Europe, we also have some great innovations. A couple of examples. If I go to China, there's a wonderful innovation there called Mobi24. It's a mobile shop. You have to have an app to get into it. It's like a, it would probably be the size of the front part of this auditorium. And it's on wheels, and customers can get into it by using an app. They shop with it. They can do click and collect through it. And when it needs refilling, re refilling um, it's on wheels, and um, it's driven back to the distribution center. However, driverless vehicles will become legal in the next couple of years um, in China, and they will drive themselves back to the distribution center to be filled up. Whether it's automatically filled up, um, I'm not sure. In Lush Cosmetics, I love that brand. Um, they've introduced a lot of bring your own containers into the store. Um, Plastic-free aisles um, in supermarkets. I saw that Marks and Spencer, I think at Clapham Junction, have just introduced this a couple of weeks ago. And sometimes innovation as, as simple as making theatre out of retail. Our customers want a show. When they come in, they want an experience. And we're the writers, we're the directors, and we're the set designers all in one. Let me move on from innovation about people. Now, people are hiring talented and passionate people. I define passion as the human soul on fire. Just think about it for a moment. You know, people with great passion, that's who we need in this industry. We recruit, obviously, the best people that we can, train and develop them, and give them some space. Um, very important, sometimes we've got to let people fail. But they need to fail fast and learn from these things. Because if people don't fail, they're not going to learn anything. Remember, people make or break organizations. <coughs> After 45 plus years in retail management, I've got three component parts uh, which I think take a business from good to great. Number one, we need to have leaders who inspire because inspirational leaders cast a shadow over the organization and people follow that shadow. Secondly, we need management who can ruthlessly implement what's 
um, being set out in their strategies and operational plans. I've been in, and I'm sure many of you have been into organizations, and I've said to them, you have a strategic plan. They're not doing well. That's why I'm usually there. You're not doing well. Um, can I have a look at your strategic plan? So in the old days, they would produce a McKinsey deck, or it may have been a Bain deck. Um, I've got nothing against McKinsey or Bain. <sighs> We'd blow the dust off it. And the reality is that management have not ruthlessly implemented this. And it's about ruthless execution. And thirdly, last but not least, you've got to have frontline people or um, your um, e-commerce business, which not only meets customer standards, but uh, beats customers and exceeds at every single interaction. I believe that retailers who are investing in their people are investing in their future success. When I was um, the president of Sachs in America, um, I saw myself as the chief recruitment officer in inverted commas. Uh, let me just share why, because I always like to be out uh, looking for talent and, and uh, talking with people. Very quick story. Um, I'd had a hard day at the office. I phoned my wife and said, let's go out for dinner. Where would you like to go tonight? She said her favorite was Gramercy Tavern on 38th Street. And um, so we went there. We had a great dinner. And we had phenomenal service. There was a young woman called Tracy, um, who was our waitress. And Karen said to me, wow, um, she's fantastic. And as part of the conversation, you know, I said, so what do you do? And she said, I'm at theater school. The next course came up. Um, so what do you want to do? And she didn't really answer. So um, when she, after she brought our coffee, I said, Tracy, what do you really want to do? Uh, obviously you want to go on to, um, you know, uh, theatre. And uh, she said, you know what I'd really like to do? I'd like to get into retail. She had no idea who I was, no idea at all. So I said, oh, why? And she said, because I think it's a great interaction with people. And in the theatre, you're just delivering. You're not getting a two-way. And she said, I love selling. So when she brought the bill, I gave her a very generous tip. Um, my wife said it was because she was attractive. <laughs> and um, I said to her, I'm going to give you one other thing. And I put my business card, and she looked at it, and she said, you're the president of Saks? I said, yep. And if you're interested in getting into retail, then please phone me tomorrow morning. So it was a very nice evening. Great. I never thought another thing about it. Came back to my office mid-morning, the next morning, and my assistant said to me, Andrew, um, were you out with Karen last night? So I said, yes. She said, well, there was a Tracy. Said she met you at dinner last night. <laughs> so I said, no, no, no. She said she wanted to speak to you. So I said, um, that's great. Get her on the telephone. So um, I said to Tracy, look, if you're interested, I'll connect you um, with the recruitment department uh, at Saks. 
Long story short, she joined the organization. In her first year, she was a million dollar seller uh, in the Fifth Avenue store. And I could share many other stories, but we don't have time for that. My fourth point is keep change at the center of your business. You've got to embrace change. Another brief story, um, I visited Fast Retail in Japan, um, the owners of Uniglo, you're all aware of Uniglo stores, and huge success, successful global retailer. And delightful little Japanese guy, um, and he sat in this huge office with this major desk, and I went in, he was huge, very polite, and he had this massive sign, probably that size, and my eyes kept looking up at this. He said, Andrew, you like my sign? I said, I don't like it. I love it. Because it said, change or die. <laughs> and he said, this is the very focus of our business. Because we're course correcting the whole time. Now, that means, for instance, making two technologies. When you're making new technologies, make sure that you're always moving forwards. And, but sometimes technologies and technology in companies isn't always su as successful. And what I've found is that often, and there's no offense if anybody's here from the IT world, that it's left with the IT department instead of with the user. And I'm a big believer, if you're going to change and you're going through a lot of change, you've got to get your whole retail team involved in that change. You can't have silos in the organization. One of the greatest changes in technology in retail over since I joined the business, we had these vacuum pipes um, where you put the money in, it was sacked to a cash office, and then we went into cash registers, then we went into electronic point of sale, then we've got self-select, and now, ladies and gentlemen, your device, you will be able to use that in the store. There are many businesses, Tesco, Waitrose, M&S, all doing tests on this, so you'll be able to get through that lineup very, very quickly. It's a good start, but it's just the beginning. And there's lots on AI and machine learning, again, a lot of opportunities for retailers to think in an innovative way and constantly change. Area which really anticipates customers' wants and needs. And again, Amazon are brilliant at that. They're leaders in their field. So, ladies and gentlemen, I'd very much like to hear your thoughts. So let me conclude by saying the following. There will always be winners and losers in retail. There always have been, there always will be. Bricks and mortar stores do have a bright future from my perspective. Providing, and there is a big proviso here, they understand who their customers are, they constantly innovate, they hire and trust um, innovative and best staff that they can and they embrace change to become an omni-channel retailer. It's not about 
online is not just about bricks and mortar. Above all, they spend every minute of every day doing everything they can to be relevant. And remember that key word, relevant. Retail is at a challenging time, very challenging. There are real opportunities for those that have the imagination to do it right. It's an industry which is crying out for passionate, talented people. And after 45 plus years at the coalface, I really can't think anything better that I would ever do than what I've done in retail. Now for those in retail, just remind me who you are that are in retail. Okay, I have some homework for you. When you get to your office tomorrow morning, or your companies, or your online business, I'd like you to ask yourself three questions. Please memorize these. First question, am I doing everything possible to understand and thrill my customers? Remember, your business has to be a magnet that's attracting customers. Secondly, am I doing everything to turn good staff into great? Because if you want to go from good to great, start with your staff. And thirdly, on the innovation front, is my organization making the necessary changes, remember the word change, to ensure future success? If the answer to all of these questions is positive, then you're on the right track. If not, rethink and go back to each one of these. Today, more than ever before, you have to be extraordinary to attract and retain customers because almost is not good enough. Thank you very much indeed for listening to me. Well, uh, thanks, Andrew. That was a real tour de force. Um, it's now an opportunity for, for a bit of Q&A, and, and I have to admit, the, the first question in my mind was, what's Tracy doing now? But uh, we, we'll perhaps leave that to later. First of all, though, an opportunity, while we've got some questions already pre-populated, it's, it's better if we can actually get questions from the floor. So if we've got friends amongst the audience who might be prepared to ask a question, we can get a microphone to them as quickly as possible. Uh, waiting for the microphone. Oh, sorry. Uh, sorry. <laughs> Vanessa. Oh, actually, Vanessa had a hand up sorry, first. Sorry. Sorry. We'll, we'll come down this way in a second. <laughs> thank you. Um, Vanessa Moon, Moon Executive Search. And thank you. Um, just Vanessa so, again. Yes, yes. Brilliant name for a book. Fantastic. A two-part question. What drove you to write the book? And also, what's the connection with the Prince's Trust? Okay, thank you. Um, why did I write it? Quite simply... Because I've spent a few years, um, I've got the scars on my back from the retail industry and I've had a great time. I've met a lot of phenomenal people and I've learnt a lot. And to this day, I am a student of retail and I'll always be a student of retail. And any retailers, you have to be students. Um, and I thought, you know, I'd like to put, and several of my friends said to me, Andrew, you've got to write a book on retail. 
So that was, I wanted to do something. I have the privilege of chairing the Prince's Trust Retail and Leisure Board. And I thought, I'd like to make a contribution uh, to the Prince's Trust. And so I'll have, have a book. Um, we'll have a high quality book. And everything that we make on this book, we will give it to the Prince's Trust. So far, um, we have, I have donated £78,000 to the Prince's Trust, um, which is all the, uh, the profit from the book. And you'll be very pleased to hear that the book is on sale here this evening. <laughs> Always a salesman, please understand that. And um, those that haven't got a copy of it, how many of you don't have a copy? Because I've only got... 20 books here. I will personally uh, sign them tonight. Um, but you can, those that can't, we have a wonderful assistant here whose name is not Tracy, uh, who we can list them out. You can either buy them on Amazon or you can buy um, them from me tonight. If you buy them here, we make more money for the Prince's Trust. Amazon are a bit greedy on that. So that's why I wrote it and that's why the Prince's Trust. Thank you. Th thank you also for uh, a, a, a great speech. Um, you mentioned Alibaba Singles Day, we've got Black Friday, we've got Cyber Monday. The, the sales culture, the discount culture, uh, is that a hole that's been dug that's been difficult to get out of? Or how do you, how do you operate in that, in that market? Yeah, that's a great question. And um, I'm trying to think of somebody's name. That's why I pulled a, a note out here. I hate it. <laughs> I hate off price. I really do. Because, you know, this, this Black Friday nonsense was brought to us to this country by ASDA. And um, it is not appropriate because the highest profit um, area and time of the year is obviously pre-Christmas. You want to be able to sell more full price merchandise there. And the problem is it's a drug. And once you're on the drug, it's difficult to get off. It really is. And <coughs> The guy, that's what I was looking for, um, Ron Johnson, who was the CEO of J.C. Penney in the States. Very bright man. Um, and he came from Apple. And he said, we're going to drop all of our discounts. And J.C. Penney was a discount store. And the business went like that. Shareholder value was absolutely destroyed. And he was eventually fired from the business. So once you're on it and you want to get off it, it's difficult, but it is achievable by doing it on a gradual basis. And again, at Black Friday, one of the businesses I'm involved with, last year on Black Friday, we didn't do discount. We gave a donation to a charity. Customers bought something, we'd give 15 or 20% to a charity. So that you've got to think creatively about these things, innovatively. Mm -hmm. This one here. Hi, I'm um, Michael Lake. Um, thank you for a fantastic talk. Um, Thanks, Michael. My, my question is, um, it, at the moment, um, if we're change, you talk about change and change being at the centre of, of the industry, and we're talking about the death of the high street. If change is at the centre of the industry, firstly, should, be, should we be worried about the death of the high street? And if we are worried, as consumers, should we share some of that responsibility? Okay. 
Um, number one, I still think there'll be a high street, maybe not in some of the towns and cities as you see it, if I think of Sunderland, for example. Anybody here from Sunderland? Okay, I'm not going to make a derogatory comment at all. Um, I had a store when I was running House of Fraser there, and you know, 25, 30 years ago, it was feeling a little rocky. I'm not sure what it's like today. Um, but some of these tertiary towns and cities, you've had Boots moving out of it, Debenhams moving out of it, House of Fraser moving out of it, and you really are left with a lot of Oxfam stores, a lot of fast food stores, vaping stores, beauty um, places. What I love is there have been several towns and cities where the city fathers have sat down and said, what are we going to do to restore this? And um, just outside Manchester, I think of the name of uh, the city that's been through a complete revival. It was a real problem 10 years ago. And what the city has done is they've brought in more artisanal workers into the city. They have more uh, markets. They have a lot more pop-up shops. They have a lot of local fashion designers, um, local home designers, and this sort of thing. And it's really been a regeneration um, of um, the city itself. And I think there's got to be a, a shared responsibility for that. You know, are you going to support your local grocer? The answer has to be, you must think about this. Otherwise, he won't be around tomorrow. But, you know, it's, uh, it's, he's still got to be uh, competitive in his prices. And it's tough. It really is. But I believe you've got to try and help people do these things. I've answered your question. There is no answer to it. Uh, over there, please. Could you give your name and, and who sure. you represent as well? Sure. This is Muataz Gat from the University of the West of England. Muataz Gat. Uh, basically, I have a two-part question, a bit greedy, so... Part. <laughs> two-part. Okay. <laughs> okay, we're not allowed any more than two parts. Yes. Okay, so the first part is about the plan execution. About the... The plan execution. The execution plan of the and plan. Execution. Yeah. yeah, so basically when you enter into an organization, there is this wonderful plans done by the great uh, companies about cost-cutting, laying off people, transformation. So, and they are similar. They have been applied across the board in the Fortune 500. So how would you know that this is the right plan and this is not like a quick fix for three or two, two three years just to drive shareholders and the stocks are fine and everybody gets paid? So this is my first question. My second... Can I answer that first? Yes. In case I forget your second one. Um, I think that the question is really um, the new plan, the new strategy, um, may well encompass layoffs um, and reduction of the size of the, of the business. Correct? Correct. Definitely. And the answer is, yes, it may well do. The reality is, sometimes you've got to right-size a business because it has too many stores. You know, department stores across the world have been through this sort of decline. And the reason is, they have too many stores. Um, and um, many of those businesses, in my book, I talk about the future of department stores. And 
Stores like Harrods and Selfridges only have a couple of stores. And so sometimes you've got to say, we've got to just close some of those stores. Does it mean redundance? The answer is yes. But it's what I call tough love. You've got to say, well, we want the brand to survive. We want the business to survive. It's got to be relevant for the future. And the customer doesn't want to shop in some of those towns and cities in our brand. So that's my answer to your first part. Okay. The second part is, uh, what would you recommend as a daily agenda for a leader? So from 8 a.m. until 5, what he or she would do in a, in a nutshell like? Okay. Um, well, in other words, in the retail business, um, what are you supposed to be doing between 8 o'clock and 5 o'clock? Okay. Okay. I have an expression. I'll answer it in one way. I've always said to all of my guys in retail, 10 to 4 on the floor. That's my answer. We've got time for one very last question. And this, well, actually, it depends how quick and concise they are. But, but there's, that, that, that was one I saw. Yeah, but you didn't have your hand up a minute ago. So, so please, this one in the middle, first of all, and we might take another one. But, but, but we are running out of time. Here, first of all. Um, hello, I'm Frank Noble, um, St. Peter's Hospice. You stand in front of us as someone who's linking charity and um, retail. Um, my question is a one very question. Quick, very quick, and it's, yeah. do you see opportunity for retailers and charities to get, to get together around purpose? And, and, and also around environment and circular economy. Absolutely. Within our Prince's Trust, and I'm more qualified to give an answer on that, you know, we're doing a lot of things with retailers um, to be able to um, give a support, um, A, for the charity, and B, for the retailer. We've got a big plan coming up with Disney, between the Prince's Trust and Disney. And, um, you know, that's, um, that's quite important to us. And we're doing more and more um, things on those bases. And again, over the years, um, I've included charities um, within um, programs, marketing events that we've had to really sort of... There's got to be a purpose of why people come in, especially local charities. And I think local shops and stores can outreach. Mina? <laughs> There's one there, yeah. Yeah, Jenny Wagstaff, CSET. I'm just interested to know what you think makes for a successful um, a performance management strategy and also, you know, the use of appraisal and is appraisal dead or, you know, sort of what... Because there's quite a lot of press around that at the moment. It has been. You know, the annual appraisal, I call it fashion. Um, the annual appraisal is not as fashionable as it was. And I think, you know, if you've got a great team and you're constantly getting feedback and it's a 360 feedback because you've also got to appraise your boss, you've got to give feedback. It's about how do you work together as a team? How do you make sure that everybody is on the same page? When I've run teams, I've always tried to make sure that everybody understands what the focus is. Everybody has a say. Um, 
I'm a big, um, big uh, advocate of the racy system. Who's responsible? Who's accountable? Who's just informed about something? People need to know their roles. The same in a soccer team. Every player has a role. So the same in a business. And the very last question. Hi, uh, my name is Jan. I study product design. Jan. Yes, and the question is, uh, this whole change in environment, do you think is it possible to change the whole retail systems towards more circular model rather than just linear? Uh, is, it, is it viable? Is it, is, it, is it possible to make retail actually sustainable? Because like by consuming more and more and just seeing people leaving the stores with more products, is it, is, it, is it really sustainable? Is this behavior good for the planet and possibly for the society? Okay, that's a very deep question. <laughs> Always the last question, I think. Holy Moses, I wish they'd never asked that. <laughs> Bottom line is, in a simple answer, um, number one, uh, that consumers are buying less stuff in inverted commas. There's no question about it. Therefore, um, you know, the, the pie for retailers, you've got to take a bigger slice to be able to do that. You've got to think in cleverer ways to attract people. I told you about the previously loved uh, goods, and there's going to be more focus on that. There will be less bricks and mortar, no question about it. There is still a space for bricks and mortar. And a lot of which we didn't get into, I thought the track you were going on to was, is there going to be a place in the future? Because you can buy online. But many of those customers want to go and touch it and feel it. And retail should be an experience to go out on a Friday night or a Saturday or whatever it might be, into retail. And retailers have got to focus on that. But are we going to get less things produced? Look, the population is growing. So we could come on to a whole population uh, and where that's um, really going. But no question, I said earlier today, the consumer is spending more money on leisure time activities. Footfall is down and you know, we've only got nearly 20% of online sales. Um, and across the world, it's like under 10%. So um, I still think there's a lot of room for growth. Thank you very much, Andrew. And um, I think that was a good end to, to, to a set of stimulating questions and a really interesting talk. Thank you very much indeed. It, it remains only for me to to thank you and invite everyone in the audience to thank you once again for giving us your time and your insight Pleasure. and giving you a little measure of our Thank you very much indeed. For more information on the Bristol Lectures series, including details on how you can attend, visit uwe.ac.uk forward slash Bristol Lectures or follow the hashtag Bristol Lectures. Mm -hmm.